At times it is difficult to get a bird's eye view of a single sefer in Tanakh, in Chumash or in Nach, to, to look at a single book um, from above and to discern its structure. But there are times when you are provided with a framework which helps you to um, have a schema or a map of a given sefer and with that map, you understand the, the the book at hand that much better. Some years ago, I, I recall a sicha by Rav Lichtenstein, who gave a very simple understanding of the structure of Sefer Devarim. Of course, this structure can be dealt with in greater sophistication, but broadly, Rav Lichtenstein said that Sefer Devarim can be divided into three sections. The first section is Musar. The last section is Musar. And the middle bit is um, a segment which deals with mitzvot. Let me try and elaborate. Of course, the first three parshiot sefer, uh, of Sefer Dvarim, Dvarim, Vaitchanan and Ekev, um, deal with, as Rabbi Lichtenstein called it, Musar in the broadest sense, historical lessons, Am Yisrael's attitude, their mindset, their their frame of mind as they come into the land. Uh, either we're dealing with historical um, lessons, the lessons of, uh, of 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 Matan Torah, etc., or as we spoke about last week, other historical lessons, or even if we are dealing with mitzvot, as in the case of the Shema, and in other mitzvot, these are mitzvot of Emunah. Mitzvot, which deal with our attitudes and our beliefs, much less than mitzvot masiot. The end of the sefer as well, when we're dealing with the pretty much from parsha kitavot onwards, deals with Brit Har Sinai, the Tochacha, uh, the last speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu, the blessings to the different tribes, Shirat Azinu. All of these are to do with um, guidance for the future warnings about pitfalls and failures of the future, signing on to a covenant. And therefore, broadly, we can put them under the rubric or the heading of Musar. However, we now stand at the threshold of three parshiot, parshiot which are beautifully laden with mitzvah after mitzvah after mitzvah, parsha re'eh, shoftim and kiteitzeh, and um, this this forms the focal point of Sefer Devarim, the Mishneh Torah, the ability to actually teach the, the, the laws of the Torah to the generation who are about to enter the land. Interestingly enough, each, each of these uh, parshiot, whether it's Re'eh, Shoftim, or Kiteitzeh, have a focus around a theme. And when we're dealing with Parshat Re'eh, I would uh, venture to say that the focal point of the Parsha is the notion of Hamakom Asher Yivchar Hashem. The place which God chooses to rest His name. In other words, what we now know as the Beit HaMikdash. Perak Yudbet, chapter 12, has a very strong contrast between 
the nations who are indigenous to Eretz Canaan who worship God as it describes here um, in every single place on every high hill under every fertile tree in other words they look for points which are impressive from their natural features the fertility of the trees or the height of the mountains and they establish bamot they establish sacrificial places and temples in every site Am Yisrael is to have a contrast with that Lot asum king Hashem alokechem do not do this to God what? do not have multiple places of worship ki im el hamakom ashe yivchar Hashem alokechem mikol shiftechem nasum et shemosham l'shichnot yidrushu uvat hashama no you should go to the place which God will choose and uh, will rest his name there, place his name there, you shall seek his dwelling there, his Shekhinah, and come there. And that's where you will bring all of your sacrifices. And in fact, when we look at the rest of the parasha, it uh, clearly deals with aberrations and, and various elaborations on this theme. So Perak Gimel deals with a situation where there is Mesitu uh, Madiach, there is the case of... Uh, of, of somebody who tries to persuade people to follow Avodah Zarah or the Yohani Dachat. Later on, we find the mitzvah of Maser Sheni, which has people taking um, 10% of their produce to eat in Jerusalem or in Hamakom Hashiv Hashem. We have the Chagim, which is celebrated particularly in that Makom Hashiv Hashem. And it is there that Vasamachta, uh, you should be happy, uh, you should rejoice. Uh, with all your family, Lifne Hashem, Atau Vinchal Vitecha, Vyavtechava, Matchav, Halevi Hashemisharecha, etc. Bamakom Hashemishachar Hashem Lokecha Lashaken Shemosham. So we can see an overarching theme, which is the development of a single place of worship and uh, the various things that are to go on in this place. Now, some of the other elements of the parasha fit in. That is not going to be the topic of our class today. Um, instead, I would like to take a different topic. And this is um, related to a passage in Pericute Bet. And it deals with the development or the history of the eating of meat. The eating of meat and uh, how the Torah relates to um, the consumption of meat in this period. Let me explain how we get into this theme. If you look in the Parsha, we're going to look at Perakud Bet, Pasukhaf. It says the following, When God expands your borders, And you say, you want to eat meat, because that's what you desire. You have a passion for it. You have a you have a, a, a lusting for meat. But here's the problem. But the, the place of worship for God, the temple, is far away. So what are you allowed to do? You are allowed to take of your cattle, of your flocks, and you're allowed to 
um, eat them in your gates, in other words, in your towns, as you please. However, he warns them, in other words, this is not a sacrifice. You can eat uh, animals which are pure, which are impure uh, from a ritual perspective. Obviously, the animals have to be kosher. And here we have one restriction. Be very careful not to eat blood. Because the blood is the life force of the animal. And uh, therefore you have to spill the blood out, etc., etc. The question is, uh, and of course here we have the permission to eat meat, and um, the notion according to some of the mitzvot of shechita, and the ability for us to be able to eat meat wherever we, wherever we are. However, when we look at this parsha, we don't understand what has this got to do with the temple? In other words, it starts off by saying, uh, When HaKadosh Baruch Hu will expand your borders, when you're too far, the temple is too far off. What has this got to do with anything? Why should this be related to the temple at all? In order to answer this question, we have to turn back to Sefer Vayikra and understand that this is relating to a previous restriction on eating meat. If you turn to Vayikra Perak Yudzayim, you will see that in the Midbar, um, the, the, Am Yisrael were not allowed to just consume meat unrestricted. If anybody wanted to to eat a, a meat meal in the Midbar, they would be forced to go to the Bet Midrash and offer up the animal in question as a shlamim, as a peace offering. A peace offering means that um, the, the owners eat the majority of the animal. And only under those conditions would they be allowed to eat meat in the Midbar. Let's take a look at uh, where, where this is said. Um, I'll read it in a time. It says here, Ish Ishmi Beit Yisrael Perik Yudzayim Pasuk Gimel. Ish Ishmi Beit Yisrael Ashe Yishchat Shchoro Kesei Boeiz B'Machaneh. If any one of the house of Israel slaughters an ox or sheep or goat in the camp, or does so outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the, to, to the Lord before the Lord's tabernacle, um, Dam Yechashev Leishahu Dam Shafach in the translation I have here blood, gu- blood guilt shall be imputed to that man he has shed blood it's quite significant why was there such a significant Isor in other words while we were in the wilderness while we were in the Midbar we were not allowed to eat any meat without bringing that meat as a korban. Why? Interestingly enough, two reasons are given. The first is very strange. It says, Interestingly, 
Um, if I want to take the, you know, the key psukim here, this is in order that the Israelites may bring sacrifices which they have been making in the open, that they may bring them before the Lord to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and offer them as sacrifices, that they may offer, that they will not offer their sacrifices any more to the goat demons after whom they stray. The first reason why you have, are not allowed to bring an un, unlegislated sacrifice or to stum eat meat is apparently that in the wilderness people were afraid of the um, endless expanse of the desert and they felt that there were demons lurking there these si'irim, um, and people would offer some sort of sacrifice. I don't know whether this was a, a whole animal that they would offer to these uh, demons, or whether they would give some of the blood or some of the limbs. Whichever way, this is something that God wants to keep us away from in the Midbar, and he knows that people are scared of the Midbar, and they feel some need to uh, pay homage to these demonic forces, which people imagine. And therefore he says we can't have unrestricted slaughter in the Midbar. Instead we have to have only legislated slaughter, only things which are under official sanction of the camp. And therefore everything has to bring brought as a korban. If you want any sort of meat, it has to be brought, as he says, by the Kohen, in the Migdash, in the Mishkan, so that everything will be um, overseen and will be done in the correct um, religious way. However, this isn't the, the end of the story there. Here, of course, the theme of blood comes up, and he says something different here. If you look at Pasuk Yud, I'm again in, still in Vayikra, Perak Yud Zayim, Pasuk Yud, he says something different here. He says, um, if anyone of the house of Israel or the strangers who reside among them partakes of any blood, I will set my face against that person who partakes of blood. I will cut him off from his king. Why? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have assigned it to you for making expiations for your life upon the altar. It is the blood as life that affects expiation. I'll read that in Hebrew. What does it say here? It says, Ki nefesh habasar badamu. And he says, why shouldn't you eat blood? Because the blood is the nefesh. And what did I give? Why did I give you permission to take a life of an animal? The only reason to take a life of an animal is to achieve kapara. It's for a religious ideal. It's for a religious motive. And without the religious motive, you will be considered as murdering that animal. That there is a sense here, almost of, that murder applies to animals, and therefore you can't do it. To summarize what we have here, when we look at Perikut Zayin in uh, Vayikra, Vayikra Perikut Zayin tells us that during the years of the Midbar, Ben Israel were not allowed to eat meat unless they brought the animal as a korban, as a sacrifice, but really not a sacrifice, a shlamim. A shlamim means the, the owners eat the meat, however the blood goes on the mizbeach. And why does this have to be the case? Vayikra offers two reasons. Number one, 
that there was all sorts of, let's call it, idolatrous or superstitious practices which might go on in the environment of the Midbar. And in order to eliminate them, there is no um, illegal or there is no unsupervised slaughter in the camp. Everything has to be brought to the Mikdash so that we make sure that it is brought to God and only to God. But that is not the only reason. Reason number two is that there is some element of taking a life of an animal, which is a very powerful thing, ki hadam hanefesh, and taking an animal should be done only in a religious context. It should be used as a tool, as a medium, as a means for kapara, for atonement, and therefore the appropriate place to do this is on the mizbeach, is to um, take the life of an animal only as a only lifnei Hashem, only before God, in such a way that it will bring us close to God, it will help us understand that we are in need of atonement, and that this somehow the take, taking of this animal should remind us of our own mortality, of our own flaws, of our own animal-like existence. And uh, we should use this opportunity of slaughtering animals, even if we are going to eat the flesh, to help us to move in a religious direction. Uh, there also seems to be a, a further element here when we look at this, that, as I mentioned before, the notion of shedding blood, right? as it says here, uh, blood guilt, that there, there is almost a sense of an offence of murdering an animal. It is wrong to murder an animal unless I can bring the lifeblood to to the uh, to the Mizbeach. Now we understand more what we're doing here in Devarim. If slaughter of animals in a regular basis has been restricted for all these years, for the last 40 years, what's going to happen now when people come to Eretz Israel and they are farmers in each of their villages, somewhere up in the Galil, somewhere down in the Negev, far from Yerushalayim, um, a person wants to slaughter an animal. It's Yom Tif, they've got a simcha, whatever it might be. So this is where Sefer Tvarim comes up and says very clearly that, well, ki, sukim here, here we are, ki archiv Hashem vulecha, you're going to be in a big land, and you need to ochla basar ki taven basar, and you need to eat meat, um, ideally I would love you to go to the temple to bring this as a shlamim but the temple is very far away and therefore God has given you these animals you are allowed to eat them but you still have to be very careful of the blood the blood may not be eaten the blood must be spilt out and uh, you must uh, be very very careful not to use the blood for any inappropriate uh, purpose, um, and certainly not to eat the blood. Um, so now we understand technically why we need this stress, but we can we can raise a, a significant question here, which is, okay, if we had all these problems in the Midbar, if in the Midbar we were not allowed to eat meat because blood was so problematic, it's like shedding the blood of an animal, one is only legitimated 
to take the life of an animal if one brings the blood on the Mizbeach, then why did God allow it? We can be vegetarians. We don't need, we don't have to eat meat. But why didn't God say, just like in the Midbar, meat eating was restricted to a ritual framework, to a framework of the Migdash. So likewise here, is eating meat so critical, such a basic need, that God had to that God had to make allowances for this? Why does Parshat Re'eh undo the Isor of Vayikra Perik So, some of you might be thinking, well, in the Midbar there were two concerns. One was the Se'irim, the demons of the desert, and those there isn't in Eretz Yisrael. Um... Now there's only one factor, shedding blood. Okay, so there isn't such an important criteria and we might come to the conclusion that the problem of the Se'irim is really the primary factor. In fact, it is mentioned first in Vayikra Yud Zayin. However, I would like to take this in a in a different direction. I feel that there is a fascinating history to meat-eating as we see it in the Torah. I'm sure that uh, most of us are familiar with the first bracha given to Adam Rishon in uh, Bereshit, in Parakalaf of Bereshit, where on the one hand, man is given absolute dominion, absolute control over the animal kingdom. Be fruitful, multiply, man is told. Fill the world and subdue it. And subdue the fish, the birds, and all of the animals. The indication of this pasuk is that we have absolute control. We are the top of the of the animal kingdom, and we would imagine also the the the, the apex of the food chain. That if we are in controlling everything, then we can also eat everything. But in the next pasuk, pasuk chavtet in Perak Aleph of Breshit, this is what God says: I have given you man all of the vegetation, the seeds, which are all over the earth, and all the fruit you can have. Anything which grows, you can have uh, fruit. I've also given the animals the the plants. The indication being that we've been given plants and fruit, but we cannot eat uh, we cannot eat animals. And uh, this certainly is true. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Dafnun Tet says. Man, Adam Arishon was not allowed to eat meat, as it says, You're not allowed to eat animals. And only after the flood was man allowed to eat meat. Uh, this is agreed by all the Rishonim, by Rashi, by the Ramban, and the Ramban articulates exactly why this is the case. 
He says, and here I come back to our notion of shedding blood with animals. He says um, that indeed we were not allowed to eat meat until after the flood. And he says why? He says this is because, and I'm quoting from the Ramban, I'm just reading it in English. And this is because um, the animals which have the power of movement, they have a higher level. They are almost like human beings, intelligent life forms. They have um, choice about what they do in their life, about what food they eat. They run away from pain. They live, they die. And as Kohelet says, Kohelet almost compares the uh, spirit of man which goes up and the Ruach HaBehimah, but there is Ruach B'nei Adam, and there is Ruach HaBehimah. Um, now, the big question that comes up here is, if it is so bad to eat meat, why after the flood was it allowed? And um, this is almost similar to the question we've raised of Vayikra Yudzayin as opposed to Re'eh. What I'm proposing is, Adam Marishon was not allowed to eat meat. And suddenly Noach is allowed to eat meat. Then in the Midbar, B'nai Israel is not allowed to eat meat. Then in Re'eh, we are allowed to eat meat. Uh, outside the Mikdash precinct. And of course, the question is, why is God changing his mind all the time? Either meat should be allowed or it shouldn't be allowed. In fact, some of the Rishonim were so bothered by this, that they read the Pesukim differently. They, there are Rishonim like, for example, the Ralbag, who insisted that God does not change his mind. And if God does not change his mind, that means that just like Noah was allowed to eat animals, Adam Rishon was allowed to eat animals, he was permitted meat. And they reinterpret the Pesukim here in Perak Aleph, Pasuk Chet and Chavtet, and say, you're reading the Pesukim incorrectly. Adam Arishon was in fact allowed to eat meat, he was allowed to be a meat eater, um, because God doesn't suddenly permit something. If it's wrong to eat animals, then it's wrong, and we don't change our level. The Ramban has a different explanation when it comes to, to Noah. He says that because Noah saved all the animals, Noah was the cause of the survival of the animal kingdom, their whole existence is, is due to him. It's almost like he gained ownership of the animal kingdom. And it is for that reason that uh, he's allowed to eat meat. He saved them. He is their benefactor. He is their, so to speak, almost like creator. And therefore he has permission to do, he is given permission to do with them what he pleases. I, I will say that one critical thing which comes as a thread throughout all of these parashiyot the parish of Noah, Vayikra Yudzayin, and also Devarim Perek is the Isur Dam, is the, the fact that Ki Hadam Nefesh, life and death, the, the blood, the force of blood, the life force, is not in the hands of man, that is in the hands of God, but the flesh, under certain circumstances, it can be allowed, under certain circumstances it cannot. The Ramban is given a technical answer, 
However, we, I certainly, when I hear this, feel that I'm in search of something more rigorous and also a overarching theory which helps us to understand what's truly going on here. And uh, here we come to the opinion of Rav Cook. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about whether Rav Cook himself was a vegetarian. There was certainly Talmidim of his, uh, Nazir, who was a vegetarian. And interestingly, Rav Cook wrote a an article, I'm not sure which year it, it, it came out, called Chazon HaTzimchonut Bahashalom. The vision of vegetarianism and peace. Mibchina Toranit. Fascinating a piece. Interestingly, he wrote uh, this in uh, dedication to a relative of his, who he, he writes in the introduction, Miyoto ben eseshanim v'yoter nazar mi'achilat basar balechayim. This child who died, and I think he drowned in some sort of accident, um, was a vegetarian from the age of 10, and because the child was a was a vegetarian, he decided to write um, write this. And Rav Cook, uh, fascinatingly, deals with the notion. He starts off by talking about the notion of animal rights, and he talks about the idea that as society progresses, uh, we're all familiar. I don't know books like uh, Black Beauty or whatever it might be about the abuses of animals in the pre-modern society. And he talks about how in sophisticated modern societies, um, cultured societies, uh, idealistic societies, there is some sort of moral force which should even create a mishpatam shal balechayim, what we would call legal animal rights. This was a, a very, very new field when Rav Cook is writing this. And he says that the notion of uh, cruelty, um, which is applied to, to, to many animals, to deal with animals as if they were merely a, a commodity, um, the regesh hayosher, the um, straight, or the let's call it the ethical conscience, doesn't tolerate this. Um, we have to have animal rights and we have to be sensitive to animals. And he talks about the famous Gemara, about Reb, Rebbe, Rabbi Yudha Nasi, who was struck with suffering because he was insensitive to a calf which was going to the slaughter. And he says that, uh, as we've mentioned, we, with regard to animals, we talk about Shfichat Dan, even though it's Dan Ba'alei Chayim. And therefore, it is critical that we're sensitive to human beings, and that's exactly that we're sens- sensitive to to animal loss of animal life. That us as human beings are sensitive to loss of animal life and to cruelty to animals, and therefore uh, we have to be sensitive to this. And he says, and for that reason, Alamarishon, who was uh, you know so perfect, was was forbidden to eat to eat meat. And so he raises the question, what happened with Noah? And he says something fascinating. He says that 
the relationship between man and animals is not a constant. We don't have an absolute value of not eating meat. Not eating meat and the relationship between human beings and animals is something which is a variable. And what does it depend on? It depends on the general moral level of the human race, the general um, level of sensitivity that we can have, uh, the general um, ethical standards and that we can find amongst people. And if man is on a very, very high level, then this high level of uh, moral um, sensitivity and refinement can extend even to animal life. But when the world becomes degenerate, he says, it is inappropriate when man is being cruel to man, when the world is filled with violence and chaos, it is inappropriate to start extending sensitivity to, to animals when we don't even care about human beings. He says this is true about the atmosphere in the time of Noah. Noah uh, lived in a generation where uh, people were the land was filled with violence and therefore um, there was no place for sensitivity to animals in the same sense. Um, in fact, he says here that um, the he, he talks here about the idea, I've lost the, the, the place where he exactly talks about it in the article, but he talks about the idea that um, when it comes to the, the generation of, of Noah, it was simply inappropriate to relate to um, animals in such a way on, on such a high level. And maybe I'll read a couple of lines here. Man fell from his uh, spiritual level. And um, he says... Um, Right. Okay. Like I said before, um, in the time of Noah, this was this was simply inappropriate. Um, we can say the same thing possibly about the period of the Midbar and the period of Eretz Yisrael. When we were in the period, by the way, Rav Cook mentions one further thing, which I should say. He says that there can be even situations in which um, society can be so degenerate that people will take all of their morality and um, put their morality into animal rights rather than into human rights. And a great example of this is actually the Nazi party. One of the first laws which the Nazis established in 1933 was, was animal rights. In fact, there are even cases where they took the uh, pets of Jews and uh, killed, killed them with euthanasia, uh, where the Jews were suffering uh, a living death. And the Nazis, uh, many leading Nazis were vegetarians. They seem to care more about animal rights than human rights. So maybe this underscores exactly this point that uh, Ruff Cook was saying, where Ruff Cook said that when society goes down in its moral standards, sometimes it is the it becomes a a fig leaf. It becomes a cover up. People can take uh, their high moral standards and apply them to animals, where they themselves are acting in in disgusting and corrupt ways towards fellow human beings. What I'm saying is that the, the, the notion of how we relate to animals and the relationship to meat 
is uh, is not a constant. It is a variable. And when we are on a high level, spiritually, religiously, sensitively, mor- morally, um, we start becoming so refined that we can widen our humanity to, to, to see the level of life which is present in, in, in animals. Um, however, when chaos reigns, when we're on a far lower level, it's inappropriate to develop that sensitivity when other things are more pressing and where there are higher needs which relate to humankind which need resolving. And it would seem like while we were in the Midbar, not only there was the problem of the Avodazara around or the sort of uh, superstition that people had vis-à-vis the demons of the of the desert, but we were also on a tremendously tremendously close proximity to the Shekhinah, the Migdash being so, so close. But also, Am Yisrael were on a very high level of connection with God. And as we move to Eretz Yisrael, um, I wouldn't say that God is anticipating a fall. It is clear that God realizes that we're spreading out. It is impractical to visit the Migdash on a regular basis. And God is, so to speak, allowing us allowing us to relax these rules, these rules which see an animal um, as only being able to brought within the context of the of the Mikdash. Now, of course, ki nefesh, we can't eat blood, we have to deal with the blood appropriately, but we are allowed to eat meats because um, we still have where to go, we still have what to work on in terms of our own spiritual perfection. It is Rav Kuk who sees that uh, in the time of Mashiach, animals will reach a totally different level uh, almost a spiritual level, Rav Kook says, in his Sidron, um, So what we've dealt with a little bit is the <clears throat> the fact that there is a history to the eating of meat in the Torah, and it takes interesting twists and turns, and uh, we see a major um, shift in here in Parashat Re'eh, where because of the distance the physical distance from the Mikdash to the where people will be living, suddenly we are given the permission to eat meat under certain restrictions, something we which we were not allowed to do through the period of the meat bar, but this has allowed us an opportunity to deal with uh, this very interesting place which animals lie in, where animals have, um, as we said in the Ramban, can feel pain, uh, they are born, they die, there are elements of the animal kingdom which uh, are close to our own experience as humans or as animals ourselves, as beasts ourselves. And uh, this gives us pause for thought, uh, both in terms of the sensitivity we have to have to things like Tsar Bale Chaim, but also to the fact that we are, those of us who are meat consumers, um, should think a little bit uh, about this notion of Kiadamu Nefesh and uh, and the notion of the animal industry and uh, think a little bit about this in this context. Thank you very much.